0: Welcome to The Six Figure Therapist, where we discuss professional and practical ways for mental health practitioners to help others and make money. Here's your host, Dr. Arcella. All right. Welcome. I'm Dr. Arcella Trimble, and I want to thank you for coming to another episode of Six Figure Therapist. I am so excited today. I have, we call him Wes. Um, (laughs) We have Wes on here, and he is a practitioner in the Georgia area, and um, we'll tell you all about his bio and stuff, and I'm going to get him to tell you a little bit about himself, but I'm so excited. I met him. Oh, gosh. He hasn't been it's been a minute now. Has it been a year even maybe? I don't know. It's maybe about a year ago or so. in one of our trainings and, um, I had heard about him prior to the training though, from Eric that works with us. And he told me about the wonderful work that he's doing. And I thought that he would be a perfect example of someone that, um, Is doing something to help in a bigger way and in a non-traditional way. And so I thought he would be somebody great to talk to. So first, I just want you to just kind of briefly introduce yourself to everyone.
1: Dr. Trimble, I want to start and I want to say I'm always, um, anytime I get a platform to speak, I'm very humbled, but I'm very grateful to be on your podcast Mm -hmm. in particular and the same goes. Everything you just gave intro for me, I had heard about you in the field and the work that you had done. Eric spoke very highly of that, and then you were able to provide a very extensive training on the certification for being a um, clinical supervisor to other clinicians in pursuit of licensure. So, I'm grateful to be here with you today. I'm excited as well. I love being on your podcast, and yes, uh, quick intro. So, I'm a licensed professional counselor, I am completing my PhD from the university of West Georgia, and that's been in the works for quite some time, but I should graduate this year and complete that. And that's a great program psychology, um, but, uh, emphasis in consciousness and society with three different tracks, humanistic, transpersonal and critical psychologies, very, um, growth oriented and expansive and, um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here and can. I, I have a tendency to be very long winded. Okay. My summary skills are awful. And so. I, unless you want me to start with where I was born, you better guide me <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Everything.
0: I got you. I got you. I got some questions. Okay. Now, first, one of the things that, you know, we talk about is being in this profession, you're gifted. Like I always look at what we do as a gift. So I always want to know from everybody, do you first believe that it's a gift what you do in helping people? And if so, when did you first start to realize, oh, I want to help people for a living?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. My my personal belief system is that every human soul has a unique gift or talent or ability. And I think our journey on this earth is to kind of learn about the self, find what you align with and what makes your heart sing and feed your soul and devote your life to that. And so I'm fortunate. My mom has her master's in behavioral analysis from Drake University. My grandmother, her mom, who I call Nana, has her EDD in psychology, was the um, taught at Charleston Southern University for quite some time in psychology and so I come from this lineage of strong women on on this maternal side that were social workers and psychologists and even going back further, um, my nana's mom um, her mom came from, so my great, great grandmother came from Naples, Italy. And from what I can tell, she was um, a nurse in the earliest days and did social work before it was even a field and kind of become, but with a helping practitioner, a healing community member, somebody that was devoted to helping others. And so I think that's in my bloodline. And as a young boy growing up, I was fascinated and I got that fascination, that curiosity about the human condition and human behavior from my mom, from my grandmother. And so there's, it was this beautiful, expansive space. I think for a while I was rebellious and kind of fought against it. So 17 to 20 was like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do psychology. I'm, I'm not even gonna go that route. I'm gonna do something different. Music was always my love and my passion, but then it just pulled me back to it. So when I was in college, I did my bachelor's at Georgia state, my master's in community counseling at Argosy started the PhD program at the university of West Georgia. And I'm still just, it's, it feeds my soul in every way, shape or form, whether it be academic study and theory um, or praxis and direct clinical work. Um, and, And I feel, I wouldn't say that I feel like I'm a healer, I feel like I've learned how to hold sacred space for others to see themselves in ways that maybe they couldn't without that space. And I feel like this is a gift, um, this practice. And every time I sit with a client, sit with a family, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to walk beside them on their journey as they do depth work and work on their own healing.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah. See, and, and the one thing I love about this is, you know, some of these answers I don't even know until I hear you all say them. So just to think that you came from a long line of, like you said, helpers and healers and to carry that on and to carry it on at even a different level. Like it sounds like your great great grandmother carried it on from a, a different level than your mother, your grandmother, and now you're doing it at another level. So that is just, that's just awesome to see and witness. Yeah. yeah. That, that's thank you for sharing. All right. So. Then when you started, so you, you're in the profession. Now, initially when you started working, did you, where did you start working at? Like where, what, like, where did you work at first?
1: Yeah. So I was, gosh, man, rewind. I think I was 25 and I was making eight bucks an hour working at a CD shop. I loved music. I worked at all these different music stores. I worked at uh, Peace Tree Battle I had a shop called spin street music. When I was younger, I worked at Camelot music. Um, but then fast forward and I was at a CD warehouse. I was the manager. I was making eight bucks an hour. I was 25 years old. And I was like, "Uh Oh, what am I going to do?
2: Okay. I
1: just finished my bachelor's in psych. At that time, music was starting to get downloaded. CD shops were closing. I was like, Oh, I got to pick a profession and, and really kind of pour my energy. So I was either going to go to law school mm-hmm or because a lot of my buddies were going there I was like maybe I'll start studying for the LSAT and do that and then I had this epiphany I was like you know I think I'd like studying that I don't know if I'd like to practice that okay and so I went to an orientation for a master's in counseling and they gave me a book by John Kotler called on being a therapist and they said read this and if you're still intrigued this is the program for you and I read it in two days and I was like man this is it it's been my calling so I I did my master's in counseling and right at the tail end as I was doing my internship at Peachford hospital, working with their intensive outpatient program next step with young adolescents that I loved and was amazing. But the hospital psychiatric setting was challenging for numerous reasons. Um, I found a program called Vive, Vive family support program and they had an Atlanta location and they worked with young adolescents coming out of wilderness therapy residential treatment centers, um, therapeutic boarding schools, and they were transitioning back home. Now it was satellite work. So there was no brick and mortar office. You got to um, come pick up the young person and go do adventurous, experiential therapy. So that was my first gig. And I got to go mountain biking, hiking, rock climbing. I went out to eat more times than I could name. I went bowling. I went to movies but anything to build rapport and trust and create a sacred space for these young people, as young as 10, as old as 25. And that's what I did for six years, became a therapeutic mentor, became a parent coach, started to work with the family systems, and then um, worked my way up to become the clinical team leader for all of the Atlanta region and hired and built a team for Atlanta And then in um, 2014, got accepted into the PhD program. And Dr. Trimble, I thought I could do both. I was like, I was like, I'm making 65K a year. It's awesome. It's stable. I'm clinical team lead. I'm busting, but I'm about to start the PhD. Let me just do both. Mm -hmm. And my clinical director, even at the time, Willow, she was like, okay, you know, go for it. Yeah. That first Thanksgiving of that first semester, mm-hmm. I was in my own therapy. Mm-hmm. I went down, I had a therapy session um, with a beautiful psychologist who I did a profound work with. And I just came to a realization. There's no way I, I can't, something's got to go. Okay. So I, I had this moment where I was like, I have to finish this PhD. I, I I had two little daughters at the time. Um, actually one little daughter and another on the way. And I was like, i you know, being a father and being a husband, that's my number one. That's not going anywhere. The PhD didn't go anywhere. I think I have to quit this gig that I love and I'm going to go into private practice. So I went into private practice, made the leap, called my clinical supervisor, Willow. I cried. I was like, Willow, I'm so sorry. I love you guys. I got to go do this. She was super supportive. And in my first year in private practice, working two days a week, I doubled my
0: salary. Wow. And you okay, know, wait wait, I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop no, you because no. you got a lot here. So let me okay. So and I and I really want people to hear this because this is one of the things that you know we talk about taking risks and chances and and like you said you could have kept going the way you were going but you would have been burned out you you saw it didn't even take that long to figure out okay i can't juggle all this and of course i'm sure you had some fear of like you said i'm a new dad and you know it was like okay i gotta take care of these people but now i guess what i'm wondering is how did you go from because as a person who has prior practice, of course, we know that's a lot of work too. So how did you go from deciding not to work for someone to going in and work for yourself that you thought that that would make a difference like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there was several variables, but I think the main answer is I had mentors, mm. I had guides, and these were my supervisors that were outside of the organization that I was working for. So what I thought was an initial barrier when I was in pursuit of my licensure was you got to get a supervisor. You can do your first year with somebody that's not an LPC. The second two years with LPC, I was like, oh, what a pain in the butt, man. This is going to be so challenging. I wish I could just do it within the organization I'm working for. But their supervisors were in different states. Mm -hmm. So she was in California and then there was one in Colorado and Georgia. Professional counselors were like, nope, your supervisor has got to be here in Georgia. So I found a clinical neuropsychologist, Dr. Damon Loxton. I did my first year of supervision with him. And the next two years of supervision, I did in a group supervision with Dr. David McLeod and Phil Foster. And those were profound spaces of growth for me as I watched these three prominent clinicians run and operate their own private practice. And Dr. Trimble, what was really impressive to me was their love for the craft. And so they were successful. They had self-sustaining private practices, but they loved what they did. They absolutely brought ethical integrity to everything that they did. And they empowered me to believe that I could do the same. And so with that private practice leap... I had a, a structure to follow and I could reach to these mentors and they really kind of guided me in building the documentation I needed, my informed consent, the correct paperwork and getting insurance in every, in, in creating my LLC in making that an S corporation in finding um, a correct CPA and an accountant and a bookkeeper. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, yeah, I would cuss, but I don't want to do that on your podcast. <laughs> I did not do it well. I messed it up. Okay. I, I messed up a lot and I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned so much along the way. And it was the risk that was directly correlated to my growth. And so I continued to learn. Um, and I all, but I always stayed focused on what was feeding my soul. So I needed to make a living and I needed to, excuse me, be able to be compensated for my expertise and the time and the career I was building. But that was never the focal point for me. The focal point for me was I want to do right by my clients. I want to do incredible work. And that I believe my focus on that is what brought wealth And abundance to my practice and stability in in so many ways was just operating from an ethical standpoint and doing what was in the greatest good and the best interest of the clients and the families I served.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and 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 I appreciate that because the, and the mentorship of course is very important like you said and even though you might have it as you said you still might make mistakes or still have things that because you still have to tweak it for what you're doing and what you understand and things like that but to have someone to see it before and that's what we're trying to do now right I, like I'm trying to do it for the next generation you're doing it for the next generation too
2: Absolutely.
0: and so hopefully as people hear this and they see us move and they see us other people move, they will know that it's possible, number one. And um, also, I think something like this just helps more people. And and you're going to get I'm gonna get you to tell us what you what you built because I don't think people really are gonna understand. And I wish I had like a video. We we might have to attach a video in okay. a place to to this so that people can really see what you develop because you know most people think prior practice, think a little office and you go into down. So okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and get you to tell tell them. And I don't know if you initially started this way, so kind of tell us how you did that so we decide we're making about 65 grand. We decide, hey this is not going to cut it. I can't do school. I can't do this. Let me go to prior practice. So what is your, what was your vision when you did that?
1: Yep. So, so I make that leap. I put the focus on the PhD. I'm doing two days a week, private practice. My wife and I have our second daughter. Um, our first daughter has pretty intense special needs and different challenges, autism, um, sensory issues. She's beautiful and angel, but it required a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our second daughter and my wife was working at the time. And I said, listen, I'm going to take on a couple more days of private practice and let you be able to be at home with the girls so you can give them what they need. And that was beautiful for me to be able to do that because when I was making eight bucks an hour at the CD shop, she was the breadwinner and she'd taken care of me for so many years. So to be able to give that back was awesome. So 2014 to 2019, my private practice just grows. I go from two days a week to three days a week to four days a week. I continue to pour all my revenue back into my practice. So I moved to three different private practice offices. My third office is 1500 square feet. I shove a pool table in there. I got a little bit of workout stuff. I got guitars and art all over the walls. I bring in a Nintendo switch, a flat screen. I'm doing experiential work with teens, adolescents, families, And I love it. And it's feeding my soul. And it's amazing. But Dr. Trimble, I start to, there's this pattern Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing. And so I'm, I have this thriving private practice, I have a wait list, I'm getting referrals continually. But the young people that are showing up to work with me as young as 10, as old as 25, have been to wilderness therapy, different IOP and PHP programs, psychiatric facilities, Self-harm, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, um, a m- multitude of mood disorders and different challenges. And I'm watching a repetitive cycle. And these families have utilized educational consultants, wilderness programs, all these different facilities. And young people have done incredible growth work there, but they're still challenged and struggling and ending up back in my office. Mm-hmm. So I start to ask these young people that I have incredible relationship with. I'm like, look, what worked, what didn't, if you could go anywhere and you could do healing work the way that you wanted to do it, the way that like, let's envision a place together. What does that look like? And we started to collectively and co-collaboratively dream up eternal strength, which is the center that I run now that we just hit our two year anniversary. And I started to listen to them what would be the coolest stuff there? They were like, man, if we could have a full gym, if there was a skate ramp, if there was an art studio, if there was a full music recording studio, if there could be expressive work. And I started to just dream it and envision it in my head and I would sketch it out and draw it with them. And we'd use sessions like that sometimes. And so fast forward to 2019, I reconnect, um, with a friend of mine who we were best friends in middle school. We hadn't talked in 24 years. Wow. We got into a fight when we were 14. Yeah. I was like, I had a guitar. I was like, don't touch my guitar. Don't look at it. He touched it. We had words and then we stopped talking. Wow. 24 years. He was living in Hawaii. I found him on Instagram. We started to talk and we connected really quickly and it was very synchronistic and I shared my vision and I said, I want to build the blend between a community youth center, a YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, but I wanted to have month to month, top tier, holistic, customizable, therapeutic care for mental health and for families with whatever they need. And so it was really out of desperation because so many families were saying, can you do more? Can my son or daughter see you more than once a week? Do you have any groups that you're doing? So I was listening to them and then he, my um, good friend, Zach moved back from Hawaii in January, 2020. I said, it'll take us about a year and a half to build the business plan, to do everything. Dr. Trimble, we found the building. My wife found it 8,500 square foot building in Alpharetta. I went and I looked at it in February. We went ahead and took another radical risk got the keys, secured the building, got the keys in March, 2020. And we opened our doors April 13th, 2020, right when COVID hit. So the whole world shut down, but I still had families that were saying, look, we'll do whatever. We'll wear a mask. You have an outdoor space. We'll do six feet apart. So all through COVID, we just kept trucking along being as safe as we could serving families as we could. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I'll be honest with you, Dr. Trimble. I mean, this has been the most expansive growth oriented trying two years of my entire life. I was working 100 hour work weeks the first six months, pouring my everything into it. I I had like 11 grand in an IRA. I wiped it completely. I poured it into the business. I got a couple PPP loans and EIDL loan that all came from my private practice, not from Eternal Strength because we incorporated too late to be eligible for those. 11 days too late to be precise. <laughs> this February. 20- Anyways, everything I had, I poured in. And I was like all chips on the table, all in. This is my dream. I'm it's not a matter of whether it's going to work, I'm going to make it work. And so I, um, I want to be raw and honest with saying that I thought as private practice that I understood business. I did not know I had no Dr. Trimble. I had no clue. Now I had, I had little bits and pieces. I could look at a P and L. I understood some overhead. I could watch money in money out. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different ball game when I'm looking at an 8,500 square foot facility serving 200 plus families, having a team of 11, three clinicians, five therapeutic mentors, um, running a staff, building a team. But again, I let my heart lead. We built this incredible culture and then fast forward to last summer. We're about, you know, a year and a half in and Dr. Trimble, I was, it was the most stressful time of my life because I was servicing families. We never turned away one family. Yeah.
2: So there were several
1: families that couldn't afford our services. Mm-hmm. And I was sliding scale, scholarshipping doing whatever had to be done. But I put the company and the organization into quite a bit of debt. Okay. And I hit a wall where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to dig out of this or how to even dig out of this. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful synchronistic um, divine moment happened where I I had my head in my hands, I was praying about it. And something told me, which I believe is God kind of guiding me uh, to reach out to my network. And so there was a couple young guys who I had worked with and provided therapy to them for years. And their dads were incredibly savvy, um, successful business entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I asked to have coffee with each one of them. And I wore my heart on my sleeve and I said, here's everything I've done. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Here's what I'm trying to do. Can you please give me some guidance, help, support, and knowledge? And Dr. Trimble, both of them put their arms around me, began to work with me weekly, meet with me, and um, I'm in a much different position. So my wife and I then opened up a 501c3 nonprofit. a philanthropic leg of eternal strength. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I started to be able to um, provide families that can't afford our services with a financial aid form. We can review and then we can get donations to be able to cover costs for them to be able to get services and access. And these two gentlemen have now become board members of the nonprofit. So it's been, but, but mentors again, Mm -hmm. once again, it was mentors and guides that I could go to, and it wasn't in a book, and it wasn't watching a YouTube video. These were real life, I can ask you detailed questions, and now I'm very proud to say we hit our two-year anniversary. We are thriving, moving in a positive direction, and now I feel like I still won't claim That I'm, you know, the people who are like, I'm a businessman, I'm a therapist and I'm a really good therapist. Now, look, but if you put a P and L in front of me and you put a cash flow statement and a balance sheet, I can look at it. I can understand it. And my skills are growing, but I'm still learning so much. And so it's, it's been beautiful, but it's all been a direct result of hard work, determination, consistency, and mentorship and community support.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean again you said a lot we could sit and talk for hours about each of those things that you said there like and and one of the things I have a a six-figure blueprint and it's two of the things you said that I always say first of all we don't know how to be I call it be become a, a leader or become a boss right and oftentimes like you said you might have leadership skills but when it actually comes to running something especially as you expand like you said to start to now I have to be a boss with employees I have to manage this and even the money part. I, many times I've given stuff away for free. And like you said, you know, I know we you didn't go into it for the money, but again, you still have to feed your daughters. You still have to help with your wife. You still got to help those people who work for you still have to have money because they work for you. You see? And so then you do have to figure out how do I manage all of that? So that boss piece is so important. And we weren't taught that at all in school.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Thank and Dr. Trimble, uh, Simon Sinek, are you familiar? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. He says it the absolute best in terms of money, monetary gain, and revenue. He says, if the company is a vehicle or a car, and that's the analogy, then mm-hmm. the money is the fuel. Mm-hmm. But the money is taking you to the destination. What is the mission? What is the purpose? Where, what are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to go? Mm-hmm. But the goal of the company isn't fuel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to get somewhere. It's to allow the vehicle to drive in a certain direction. And I think when you begin to understand that, you recognize, like you said, all the intricate variables that come into play. And it is, it's it's leadership and it's a conscious leadership that can be done with empathy, compassion, respect, but it's still leadership and it's making very difficult decisions and needing to be very direct and needing to... Build a culture and build a team and make executive decisions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people um, veer away from that because it creates an uncomfortable emotional state sometimes. But mm-hmm. if you can step into it, you get to see yourself in so many new fashions and you can grow more than you ever thought.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. Cause I'm still, as I think about it, I'm still going. I was I was reading Mary Kay. Mary Kay is my person. Okay. <laughs> so I was reading her autobiography this morning again, just thinking about. Cause I was like, it's one part she said about this and that, and you know, going back and seeing, you know, cause she built the business when she was older too, and um she was going to build it with her husband, and he ended up dying a month before Mary Kay was supposed to actually start. I didn't
2: know that? Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um she wasn't going to do it, and like like you said earlier, she was like, oh my gosh, what am I? I got to do something, you know. You know what I'm saying? I can't not because I already have the stuff ordered. I already have the people. I already have so like you were saying, I could not do it yeah. so I put everything I had into it and that's the other thing I just wanted to mention is that sometimes people want to do something great without sacrifice and, and you're going to sacrifice money. You're going to sacrifice time. You're going to sacrifice you know, sleep. You're going to sacrifice. And you can't do anything great and so you talked about various uh, sacrifices that you made in order to do this vision. Yeah. Right. And
1: Dr. Trimble, people don't recognize the sacrifice is the gift.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that's the pride. That's the that's mm-hmm. the looking at yourself in the mirror and recognizing, I did this. Mm-hmm. It's it's not what was obtained. It's who you had to become to obtain that. And people miss that. Like if this sinner got handed to me and my parents were multimillionaires and they were like, sure, you want an 8,500 square foot building? Sure, you want startup capital? Here's $2 million. All of a sudden- you don't care about it as much, you know. It's like what what are you willing to sacrifice, and how can you grow to go build your dream? And then that's where I feel very fortunate, Doctor Trimble, because if this all ended tomorrow, I don't regret any of it. It's who I've become, who I became as a leader, my understanding and my skill set now around um, building a team, leadership, supervision, monetary and financial management. None of that can be taken away. I still have all those skills that I built and was able to use.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's what I always think is funny too, Wes, when people talk about the worst case scenario, you know, I always feel like, like you said, even if we lose it all, you already know how you could do it again. You, it. you know what to do. Absolutely. You, you've done it. Just think about all those people who've been bankrupt 50 million times or who have oh, lost man. everything and started. So I just feel like, you know, as long as I still have my mind and I still have my physical health, I can do it again.
2: Absolutely. You know, Yep.
0: So um, and the other thing you keep saying that I still want to I think it's still worth emphasizing is that mentorship and not being afraid to ask people. are. uh, That's the other thing I'm telling people. First of all, you cannot do anything great by yourself. Nothing great by yourself. Nothing. Nothing. You couldn't make children by yourself. You couldn't have a center by yourself. You couldn't get the men. You cannot do anything great by yourself. Right. Yeah. And so for you to keep, like you said, putting pride aside or putting, now I don't even care. I'm too old now to worry about all that. If I want something, I'm going to ask. And all you can do is say no. Right. That's all yeah, you can yeah. say. I mean, yeah. what you know, and then I'm going to ask somebody else until I get what I need. Right. And yeah. then, and then, like you said, give it back. So I'm sure just like I asked you to come or people ask you, you will give back just like it was given to you. Yeah. And so that's that cycle there. So to, to, to keep asking. Also, I think that that's a testimony of, of what happens when you do ask ask and and what can happen for you. And then to receive it too. That's the other thing. I think sometimes people ask, but they don't want to receive what they heard, you know? And so it sounds like you received it as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and the willingness to learn along the way, Mm -hmm. and you named it so beautifully. It's, it's community. It's recognizing that we are interlinked in a web of relationality and that it's that give and that take and supporting one another, and then I truly believe if I can get out of my own way and I can let go of ego and I can make godly decisions where divine uh, light is working through me and it's, and it's ethics and integrity and at the core, it's trying to help others, then beautiful abundance can happen. I think dangerous things happen when you start to think, I can do it on my own. It's my ego. Nobody else can do it like I do it. It's like, well, like, to your point- you can only go so far that way and it really is it's 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 community and connection that is so beautiful and so i mean we wouldn't exist in what we're doing right now without community and that's what we want to do is serve that community to the best of our ability and grow together
0: mm-hmm. So I know you said it, but I want I want everybody to be clear what you built again. So so tell them when you all came together. So tell them about the facility. We, we know the size of it, but tell them everything that's in it. And again, who you serve.
1: Awesome. So we do at Eternal Strength, we call ourselves um, a center for radical youth work. Now, when we say radical youth work, we're, we're talking about we serve young people anywhere from the age of 10 to 25. We'll do younger, we'll do older. And we work with um, young people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, suicidality, substance abuse. But we, we really, everything we do is very humanistic and person-centered and relational. And so we view these young people as beautiful souls that we want to help tune into their greatest potential. Everything we do is month to month, and it's fully customizable in terms of engagement. So we have individual psychotherapy, individual therapeutic mentoring, family systems work, parent support, and then a tremendous amount of individualized group work. And when I say individualized, I mean more. um, We have like creative expression lab, our art groups, our ceramic groups, our music groups. Um, We really try and do our therapy process groups based on the young people that show up here and connecting them with the right other young people and then building this sacred space together. So everything is that month to month care. We course correct every single month based on what the family needs and all of those services are a la carte. So we can do as little therapeutic support or as much as the family needs and there's no end date. So for a lot of young people, um, they can just show up and maybe they've never had any therapeutic care and they can just start out and get the support they need. And then we can course correct or it could be young people who need immersive Um, outpatient care as much as a PHP or an IOP, and they're coming back from a residential facility or coming out of a psychiatric facility, and we can offer that level of support as well. And then the community center piece has just been beautiful because that's the piece that, um, you know, we're doing these free events every single month. Community is building. That's kind of the YMCA Boys and Girls Club Community Youth Center that's going on amongst all the mental health therapeutic support
0: so wait now so you have the the that therapeutic side but when you're saying community are you saying just anyone can come into the center just anyone even if they're not getting therapeutic services they just come yeah. for free so and we hang out just-
1: yep last month we did magic music rooms and we turned every space in the center into a different music theme we pulled up the garage doors people were playing music We were passing out our bucket hats. People were painting and spray painting outside and anybody is welcome. And then every second Thursday of each month, we do a full open house from five to seven o'clock and anybody is welcome from the community. So it could be teachers, parents, young people, families that are interested. We got food, we got snacks and people can just come and hang out.
0: Wow. Okay. So then. So and and tell them. So I know. I know you have a gym in there. You have music rooms. What else? I know you had a. Did you have a rock wall or something? No. Did you? We did.
1: We we had a rock wall, oh. and then we took. Nobody was really using parts oh. of it. We took all the holes off, and we made it into a graffiti wall. Oh. Okay. And and one of the young people did this beautiful uh, graffiti piece on it. But then we got a small skate ramp out back. We got a fire pit. We have a ceramics room. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple of different um, ceramics wheels and we do a lot of pottery. We then have a couple different art studios. We have a video game arena. um, And then we have our full music recording studio and we have a podcast room. That's been really cool that young people can come on and either want to share their story and blast it on YouTube or Spotify, or they just want to do a mock podcast and save it for themselves. And so it's been beautiful and, and funky and we have so much space to just move through and use collectively. But the greatest gift, Dr. Trimble, is this is for them. Like this is, and I'll get emotional if I think about it too much, like to give youth a voice in their own healing journey and therapeutic care the way that they need and want to do it. I That's my passion and my mission. And so As they've been up here, they've made eternal strength their space. And now it's this flattening of hierarchy where it's a mutual liberation and we're here to walk with them. But we're we're leading this together. And so the mentors, the clinicians and the young people, this is our space together to to help heal one another through doing this work together. And it's just been beautiful.
0: Yeah, because I and the reason I want you to share it because one of the, the missions of six figure therapists is to also show that you can do this differently. Like I said, most times you just think you sit there on the couch and you talk and then you go, but you had a bigger vision. And so you think about, you know, what else could, could we do? And, and I think that your your vision gives people room to move outside of that traditional view of providing healing services and therapy services and helping services. So I think that that's why it was so important for you to share what you're doing. So hopefully that other practitioners can can dream bigger or dream differently and things like that. So Absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. and especially the community because I hadn't even thought of that. I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, to, to just help the community in general because mental health, again, is not usually seen that way, right? We just like yep. a exclusive place where you kind of yeah. come and kind of sneak in the building and sit, yeah. you know, but just to have people come, I think it helps normalize mental Absolutely. health too and mental health right. practitioners.
1: Yep, yeah. And Dr. Trimble, I think about it because it's like, you know, when you, when you kind of like philosophically ask the question, what is healing and what heals people? Mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's, it's connection, it's relationship, it's being fully seen by another human being and it's tribal and community connection and feeling like um, you're tuned in. And to me that happened at the boys and girls club, at community youth centers at tight knit tribal, small communities And we've lost that. A big part of our society has lost that more and more. And so we may have all these specialized mental health treatment industries, but there's still treatment health facilities, mental health treatment facilities. And so I wanted to combine the two. And my ultimate goal is to grow and expand to get to a place where we can blend both. And, you know, when we start to talk about um, monetary and mental health. I have a mission there as well because I feel like only the most affluent families can get access to top tier mental health therapeutic care. Mm -hmm. And I understand it because the best practitioners don't wanna hassle with insurance. They can do private pay, they can do a super bill. And I don't blame them. And I had mentors tell me, Mm -hmm. you you don't wanna do that because they will step on your toes in terms of how you wanna do mental health treatment, do it the way you wanna do it. My belief is with building the community center more and more, we can help heal and we can also give families access to therapeutic care and treatment that would never have the means to get that if we can do it in a creative way. And so there's a lot of affluent families that I know that want to be able to give back and want to be able to help support a mission. And I think, um, you know, when you start to look at socioeconomic status and and kids from different economic backgrounds, I think a lot of healing happens when they meet one another and start to understand where one another comes from and spend time together rather than being separated the entire time. And so there's that beautiful blend I'm trying to work on more and more Um Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I just wanted want to ask a practical question. So, how do people pay? Are they doing insurance or cash, both or? Yeah.
1: So, so at Eternal Strength, like I said, everything is monthly. Everything is à la carte. So each service is an hour,
2: okay. and
1: so our um, individual therapy is two fifty an hour. Okay. Individual therapeutic mentoring is one fifty an hour. Groups are one twenty five an hour, and then it's building a monthly package of. How many groups are you doing? How much mentoring? How much individual therapy? How much family therapy? And so it can range anywhere from a thousand dollars a month all the way up to six thousand dollars a month. And that would be like really immersive, intense PHP level care. And then for families that can't afford those services, we offer through Cosmic Lamb, the 501c3, the financial aid form. And the ability to provide them with therapeutic care and services at a reduced cost.
0: Gotcha. And so, Okay. And so then mostly then people are paying the cash, then basically it's yep. a cash based business. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, like you were saying, with your mentor stated with insurance, that definitely would be a lot to figure out how and to provide. We, do, we,
1: we do super bills. And, you know, there's certain families that can take our psychotherapy hours and our group hours and we'll fill out the ICD 10 code and the CPT codes and they'll get some partial reimbursement on the back end. But I, you know, insurance wants to do stuff like, okay, we'll approve five sessions if you if you treat with EMDR and you diagnose yeah. PTSD. And it's <laughs> exactly. like, well, insurance doesn't like when I say we're gonna do a humanistic artistic healing hour called Radical Youth Work. Where they're, <laughs> they're like, what? what are you doing? So, so it's it's sacrifices again. Mm-hmm. You know, to to be different and to break the mold, mm-hmm. but I think when you know people are are seeking healing okay. and want sacred space, if you if you really care about what you're doing and you devote your yourself to it, then the right people will show up, and you can mm-hmm. serve that community, and you know who you're trying to serve, who your people are.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. I'm going to ask you a few more questions then I'll let you go. Cool. Uh, now, one of the things here is that we believe that there are internal things that you need to have to make six figures and a- external things that you need to have to make six figures. And of course, we know the ultimate goal is to help people. So we know we're going to do that regardless. Like you said, you've done it for free. I've done it for free. So we're, we're always going to help people in the grocery store everywhere. So, but in terms of this, this piece of being successful in terms of, one of the things that I did like that I do like is employing people. I still think that that's a part of what we do too. And I know, like you said, you have quite a bit of people you employ. So I don't, know, I still think it's something about that too, that I most enjoy as well. But anyway, so what's something that was internal that you had to work on in order to be successful or in order to make six figures?
1: Gosh. Oh, I think there was so much, Dr. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have a tendency to get very meta and think in layers and overthink and almost become neurotic. So I think I had to, um, the internal work that I had to do was to work on my relationship with money and to recognize that um, it was an integral part of life and how um, energy moved through through life. So I think for a long time, I had a huge distaste for how much power money had, and um, I still, you know, I still don't like it. But what I recognized was, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and just critique and judge and have all these preconceived notions. I want to get in and I want to do my best to be a um, steward of monetary gain and use it in a way that excels and, and pushes people towards growth and helps as many people as I can. So I think a lot of it was a relational examination of all my conditioning from society about uh, money and riches and abundance and what that means and character and, and, and all those things kind of peeling that away and just being okay with staying focused on my journey and my mission and um, doing doing that work. So I think that was the biggest internal work was just a lot of um, paying attention to it. And I still do it all, all the time where I don't ever make monetary gain the focus. And any time that I have, it becomes um, not good. <laughs> and then I've met a lot of people who devote their entire lives to monetary gain mm-hmm. and obtainment of that. And they're out of balance. And so I think for me, it's just a holistic balance and, and trying to not have any aversion to it and, and not judge it and just trust that I'll make the right decisions. And then um, a tremendous amount of internal work with money management. Mm-hmm. absolutely that was something that i'm still i'm about to be 40 and tracking what i spend and where i spend it and 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 watching and being conscious of the flow of consumerism holy crap i'm like there's a couple of times where i was like i will never door dash again
2: Oh my gosh! Yeah.
1: (laughs) What? But but a lot of times it's so easy to be unconscious Uh to to what you spend because it's just this repetitive thing. And so I'm very tuned in um, spiritually with my own practice, and I feel like um almost uh, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and we were talking about when you sit down and you eat and you do a Uh blessing before you eat food just to become a little bit more conscious and a little bit more aware of the gift and what you're doing, that you can do that same thing. Anytime you go make uh, a purchase, Mm. you can kind of check in and be like, is this something that, I need and I want and I need to consume right now and kind of ask for a blessing as opposed to just blindly consuming. Cause man, this society will be like, we'll sell you anything you want all day. Keep buying, go for it. You know, you never drive down the highway and see a billboard that says you can stop buying shit. You have everything you need within you. Right. You're good. It's just not, it's not the message we get. The message we constantly get is you got to consume more Mm -hmm. to feed something. And it's like, and, and then I think a lot about, um, you know, uh, priorities and where you place your priorities and everything has a monetary price tag to it. But what's important, you know, and what, where do you want to put your energy? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I, I was reading. A, well, I don't read books anymore. I listen. I was listening to a book called a Pleasure Trap. And it's uh, really interesting because it talks about like everything we're consuming and all everything is pleasurable. And this was the real now we got to go. But I, I thought the one good concept, though, was in the book was it was saying, could it be that we have too much pleasure? and that's what's going on like think about it it's like the, the concept was if we have too much pleasure then then that's why everybody's kind of numb because it's like I got to do everything like you were saying early on in the conversation about if somebody had just gave you the building and gave you you know and it's like we might be bombarded with too much pleasure that nothing is pleasurable anymore because we can instantly get it or find it or buy it and so then as humans are we, we, we wiring ourselves to not have pleasure at all which then ends up with all kinds of other issues. And
1: Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. They call it like a hedonic apathy or a dope yeah. sickness. Just just yeah. gluttony at, at its worst. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something important about um, continued sacrifice and not being afraid of pain and and working and and gifts being embedded in that.
0: Mm-hmm. And I have fasted. Um, I was fasting for like 10 days, a few weeks Whoa. ago. I know. That's,
1: I mean, that, that's, yeah. That's awesome.
0: I know and people were like how did you do that you know how do you I couldn't even imagine I was like and I was doing it for discipline I wasn't doing it I mean of course I was trying to make sure you know I get my body together but yeah. I really it was for the discipline of it because I knew somebody who works with minds I have to be able to control minds so that's a whole nother conversation but I was like you know what I can control my mind and didn't help others so anyway but it that's was it, well,
2: awesome yeah it, it's great.
0: an experience it was an experience it definitely was an experience and uh, I'll be doing it some more more. but awesome. the point is like you said figuring out how do we hone in on those things that we need to work on and how do we and but, but it's possible like you said yeah. so you learn and we're still learning we're still growing but it's possible so okay then tell me one external thing you had to learn to make six figures so it could be like you said business it could be spreadsheets it could be any external thing
1: man um Again, I, I mean, I, you know, the philosophical part of me wants to immediately answer that um, money never stops and numbers never end. And so the attainment of a certain amount of money should not be the goal because that will keep you constantly seeking and searching. And I love that cool interview, man. It's Bob Marley and they're interviewing him at one point and they're like, are you a rich man? Mm -hmm. And he says, he says, what do you, what do you mean? Rich.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And he's like, well, money, do you, do you have a lot of money? He said, moneymaker man, rich. And, and they're like, how much money do you have? And, and they're like, do you have this amount? And he's like, yeah, I think, you know, I think I have money. He's like, nah, that's not the kind of rich. I'm rich with life. I'm rich with life. And Dr. Trimble, I think the external thing for me has been to let go of this idea that obtaining a certain amount of money and hoarding it is going to be the thing that makes me happy. Because mm-hmm. I've met a lot of millionaires mm-hmm. and they are not happy and they will tell you this isn't it now don't get it twisted if you are in the traps of impoverishment right you're damn right money can equal happiness because it can buy you a hot shower it can get you a meal it can get you out of impoverishment and and out of survival mode Mm -hmm. but more money doesn't equate to more happiness so my biggest external is um paying attention to it being conscious of it learning fiscal and financial responsibility and that financial discipline equals financial freedom. It's not the amount of money you make. It's what you do with the money you make and how you manage it that can equate to freedom and investments and, and looking at it that way. So that, that was the the biggest external because when you're younger, you think, man, if if I make a million dollars, that's going to be, but if your expenses are a million and one, you you spend it all. So it's like, I'd rather be the guy that makes this amount and you learn money management and how to track. And and I've been uh, gifted by these beautiful mentors that again, you know, um, have a lot of abundance, but they're very frugal. And they make a lot of smart decisions and they're conscious and, and they, they watch money movement and they're not afraid to look at it and pay attention to it. So that's been the biggest external is tracking it, watching it, monitoring it, and also not being emotionally consumed by it.
0: Exactly. And that was the whole goal. You know, initially, I didn't even want to call this the six figure therapy because I know people like, Oh, you know, money is money. But, but again, one of the things I realized, especially when my kids were small, um, I realized, like you said, you had to take care of people, you know, and now I'm the only child, I got parents, I have to take care of my parents because they didn't save up a whole bunch of money. So I have to do that. And then, like you said, to give it away that when my kids were in college, we gave away computers to kids who didn't have stuff. We gave away money. We gave you, like you said, you could come I can get a you with the nonprofit and yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, if you, don't, you have that, you can give, but like you said, there is a balance because it is more, it's more to it than that. And so I think a, a good balance combination of both, you know, could equal a decent life. Absolutely.
1: And Dr. Trimble, I just want to say one more thing because you made me think about this and this is so important to me. I used to think that if you gift someone with money, Mm -hmm. that it's always a good thing. And that's not necessarily true because there are times in my life where people gave me money and it didn't help because I wasn't in a healthy position to use it the right way, to balance it. So, And then they've done these studies sometimes with homeless people where they've like given them everything. And they've been like, okay, we're going to take you off the street. We're going to give you an apartment. We're going to give you a car. We're going to give you a job. We're going to give you all this. And they will end up nine times out of ten homeless once again because what they really needed was somebody who was a coach who could help them manage money, who could help them understand and watch the flow of it, not just the thing itself. And so I'm very grateful that any amount of financial gain that shows up in my life right now, I have people that I can go to and I can consult and say, help me think through this. Where should I place these funds? How should they be utilized? What are my goals in my life in terms of my daughters, my family, in terms of philanthropic work, giving back, community, continuing the business, running the nonprofit? That's more valuable than anything. If you could tell me right now, Wes, we'll give you $5 million and no mentors, or we'll yeah. give you mentors and this amount. I'd be like, give me the mentors all day, because then I, I know where to go and what to do, and I'm learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. Yeah, It makes so much sense. So before we go there, anything else you'd want to say to anyone, especially people who, um, who have a vision, you know, especially to, uh, a big vision to help others?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I, I think I want to talk from my heart to young people. And so I, I appreciate you naming your, your podcast, The Six Figure Therapist, and us having an open, honest discussion about mm-hmm. career, career development, monetary gain financial responsibility. I think that's important because I think a lot of people avoid talking about it because they feel like it's taboo, just like sex and death and Freud. People don't want to talk about it. I think it's better when we talk about it. Um, But what I want to say to young people is I believe that when you follow your passion, you do something that feeds your soul, that there is no ceiling to your success. And that's emotionally, psychologically, holistically, financially, spiritually, but without the purpose, without the mission, I think there's gonna be a point in your developmental growth where you start to question, why am I doing what I'm doing? So I'd figure out that why first, what's my purpose, what's my mission, what's my vision, what do I care about the most? And then I'd pour everything into that. And I think with the right mentors and support, You can have all the successes you want in every arena.
0: Yay, that's why I can't say anything more perfect than that. So thank you so much. I'm so excited you're here and I know you'll be back. Awesome. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Trimble.
0: Thank you for giving some of your time to listen to the Six Figure Therapist, If something was said that taught or inspired you, please join us on our mission to uplift and empower mental health practitioners. You can become part of the movement by sharing this episode, subscribing to the podcast, and leaving a review. We can also be found at Six Figure Therapist on YouTube and Instagram. Until next time, we wish you wellness. And remember, broke is not your color.